Hi, welcome to the first episode of Breakfast Poetry with Anne-Marie Vivienne. And so for this first one, it will be the only one where it will be only me. Um, the rest of these episodes will be interviews with authors, creative people, musicians, chefs, um, talking to them about the rituals that help them ground their days and orient them towards a life of beauty and meaning. So I hope you're just as uh, curious as I am to know how people um, center themselves in a world that can be so fast paced and often feels meaningless. So I wanted to start out this uh, series by talking a little bit about how my own ritual of breakfast poetry uh, came to be. Um, I've always been a morning person and I've always been a ritualistic person, but that has evolved and changed quite dramatically throughout my lifetime. Um, I grew up in a Mormon religion um, and I'm not sure how much any of you know about Mormonism, but um, it's quite insular and um, it's, it's a group of very devoted and committed people. And um, anyway, so I was, you know, part of this, this religious group and my family, I, you know, was six of seven kids. And I think in and of that self, that creates a, a little bit of a chaotic childhood when you grow up with that many people in a family. And, you know, we were taught uh, by our mother and um, other religious leaders, you know, that you begin your day with prayer, making your bed and reading scripture. So meaning either the Bible or Mormon's central sacred text is the Book of Mormon. So, you know, each day began with make your bed, say your prayers and read your scriptures. And I still uh, make my bed first thing in the morning. And I still love waking up quite early in the morning, either at four or five a.m., and that's always been the case. And, and most of my siblings, six out of seven of us are that way. Um, I'm not sure if it's genetic or what, but uh, mornings are my uh, favorite time to just have time to myself uh, in the quiet darkness of the day before the world wakes up. And so I've maintained that uh, my whole life. So ritual and the mornings have always been important to me. Um, however, uh, let's see, it's been seven years since, you know, I had kind of a, a big uh, transition moment in my life where I, I both left the Mormon church and a, an 11-year marriage. So at that point, my rituals shifted. Um, they had already started to shift. So, you know, as we'll talk about with rituals, they evolve, but, you know, and it's rarely do they switch overnight. It's kind of a gradual change, but so that's how this was for me. And, um, you know, I had, let's see. So just before the end of my marriage, I uh, went to graduate school um, studying English literature, uh, specifically poetry in my case, and a little bit of creative writing. And through my program, I was able to study at a little university called Oxford in England. And it changed, it, it was a big part of changing my perception of the world and who I was in it. It was the first time 
I had traveled away from my then husband for long periods of time and really got out of um, my Mormon community in a way that I was no longer a wife or a daughter or a sister. I was simply Anne. And um, I fell in love with my studies, with the whole atmosphere of being able to discuss poetry and ideas and philosophy and you know, the big questions, the meaning of life at uh, each meal that we had every day with my peers and my tutors and professors. And it was really just a magic time. And I, I began to find my voice in that uh, not only did I have something to say, but that people would listen. And it was during this, my time at Oxford that tea really became a part of my ritual. Um, every afternoon and then at the time drinking tea was not okay uh, for Mormons. And so I was, you know, beginning to break some rules. Um, and the tea was, you know, it was just, there was something really warming and soothing about it. And also the fact that, you know, it was something done in community. Um, we would take tea in the morning with our breakfast and also in the afternoon after lunch in the common room where we would gather and discuss you know different things we were researching so that's where the tea started to kind of make its way a little bit more um, into my daily routines my daily rituals and then once i graduated and returned home you know back to the states and back to my then husband i wanted to somehow hold on to and infuse that passion for poetry and, and philosophy and thinking into my daily life. And so um, while I would take my breakfast and tea at home, I began reading poetry um, instead of reading my scriptures. So the poetry began to replace uh, these religious texts, which just a quick side note, I, you know, this, especially the Bible, I, I really do consider a beautiful piece of literature. I, you know, I don't, I no longer, you know, believe it as literal in any way and see it as one of the greatest myths that have, has shaped our culture. And I really appreciate it and still turn to it now and then when I'm curious about our culture and society and um, kind of where our, our social norms have have come from and that that book plays a big role and it's and the way it was translated in the King James version is was very um, intentionally poetic and so it still resonates with me as um, a very important and beautiful book um, that is at the root of our Western culture and I think really important for people to understand. But anyway, back to, so I was home from graduate school, wanted to maintain my tie and my my relationship that I had developed with poetry. So I, you know, each morning sitting at my breakfast table with tea and poetry and, um, and little did I know what a rock this ritual would become for me. Um, that's so about, nine months after I graduated from graduate school and had been home, my then husband um, told me he uh, had never loved me and, and wanted, you know, was considering 
uh, ending the marriage and you know that we had been married at that time for 10 years and I was shocked um, there was something deep down in me that knew you know that this is this was what needed to happen and I wanted it to happen and yet you know I'd worked so hard to make a, a marriage work and it was hard for me to throw that away and I you know I can be quite stubborn and so um, we separated and you know I was lived for the first time living alone in my whole life uh, I was 32 when this all started and the breakfast poetry really became my anchor and helped me to get a, a perspective on life and to um, remember how much beauty there is in the world and how much beauty there was in my life despite my world crumbling down and um, at the very same time that my then husband and I separated I I cold turkey stopped participating in the Mormon church, which is not usual. Um, most people, it's, it's a struggle knowing when and how to leave the Mormon faith. And, but for me, um, I had an immediate sense of, I needed healing in my life and there was no healing within that religion, that church, um, that community. And so, you know, I no longer had this sort of a way of praying or um, knowing where and how I belonged in the world and what is the meaning of life. And yet, um, as I look back, I realize, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that I ever really believed um, in the Mormon faith. I wanted to desperately and deeply, you know, it was all I knew and all my family knew. And I wanted, I think there was more desperation to belong than there was any sort of belief in faith. Um, and it was a very intellectual relationship that I had um, with that Mormon faith. And my heart, I realize now, wasn't really in it. And so this breakfast poetry ritual, all of a sudden I realized, you know, as I was reading poetry from um, Wallace Stevens to W.S. Merwin to uh, Jory Graham, um, Louise, um, I want to say Louise Hayes, but that's not it. So um, <laughs> I'm mixing up names. But anyway, um, just the rhythms and the poetry really helped ground me during a tumultuous time. And so that's where, um, for me, breakfast poetry was really born. And I have, you know, it's been seven years since all of that crumbling began and the uh, breakfast poetry has been a big piece of helping me both unwind um, kind of these learned behaviors or learned um, constructs and really find myself and it's given me options and possibilities and that's one of the things I love most about poets and poetry is um, a good poem and a good poet um, opens the doors to possibilities. They, they never give any concrete answers or definite um, answers, um, but they, they show you the possibilities and they show you the possibility of beauty and grief and pain and suffering and joy and love. And the whole, they give you, they show you the possibilities of 
what it means when you decide to really be human and to feel everything. Um, and one of the, the poems that I, or at least I memorized um, a stanza from one poem, you know, and I decided, you know, I was going to make that part of my ritual was to commit uh, these words to my heart. I always say they're writ on my heart so that in moments when I don't have my books around me that I can, you know, call on these words, they become almost incantations or a conjuring of sorts to um, instill in me um, some sensibility that I'm needing in the moment. And so I, um, I memorized a stanza from uh, Wallace Stevens' poem, uh, Sunday Morning, and it's the second stanza, and, and this is how it goes. Why should she give her bounty to the dead? What is divinity if it can come only in silent shadows and in dreams? Shall she not find in comforts of the sun, in pungent fruit and bright green wings, or else in any balm or beauty of the earth, things to be cherished like the thought of heaven? Divinity must live within herself. Passions of rain or moods in falling snow, grievings in loneliness or unsubdued elations when the forest blooms, gusty emotions on wet roads on autumn nights, all pleasures and all pains, remembering the bough of summer and the winter branch. These are the measures destined for her soul. And so that, that stanza brought so much peace and hope and excitement to me as my life was falling apart. Um, you know, this, um, these line, you know, this stanza to me just, you know, said, you know, aren't these things of the earth, you know, the, the, the bright green wings, the pungent fruit, you know, this beauty of the earth, um, shouldn't this be cherished like the thought of heaven? And for me growing up when heaven was the ultimate and, you know, this life was just drudgery and suffering and a test that we had to get through in order to get to heaven, um, that really um, broke me open in the best way and really softened me. Um, and then this line, you know, divinity must live within herself. That was some a concept I had never even considered uh, growing up in a patriarchal Christian uh, church, uh, divinity within me, you know, there was this idea, you know, that I was a child of God, but not in this way of, um, I don't know, there was a femininity to this poem for me that I, you know, I am divine because I am of this earth, you know, and it had nothing to do with heaven. And, um, and I just loved, you know, this, this final line of the stanza that, you know, these are the measures destined for her soul. You know, what, what measures are destined for my soul? Passions of rain or moods and falling snow, grievings and loneliness or unsubdued elations when the forest blooms. It's like, um, I just, I still, you know, I, I get a little teary eyed thinking of this or just like, how amazing is this life? And, you know, so I started reciting this poem to myself every morning. And, um, you know, now, now I have 
other poems that I'm working on, you know, memorizing that I recite every morning, but I do come back to this one often. Um, and I think it will always um, be a foundation to my own rituals to remind me of how amazing this human experience is um, and that it is divine, it is holy and sacred. Um, so um, I just wanted to, you know, that's that's kind of my story of how my own, um, and I have other rituals um, throughout my day. I, I very much love ritual. They help me kind of step out of, you know, my day job and remember, you know, what life really means to me and, and who I am in this life and what I have to give and offer and service in this life. Um, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, this podcast, you know, and hopefully this growing community and, and, and what I want to focus on. And um, I really love the uh, philosopher, poet, he, Irish philosopher, poet, John O'Donohue, and I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with him. And um, I just wanted to read um, a couple paragraphs for you from his book, um, about uh, the invisible embrace beauty. Um, so uh, beauty is a topic I will touch on often and um, he does as well. And anyway, so this, I wanted to just read this uh, for you. He says, uh, traditionally, a journey was a rhythm of three forces, time, self, and space. Now the digital virus has truncated time and space. We have forfeited the practice of patience. The self has become anxious for what the next instant might bring. This greed for destination obliterates the journey, but a great journey needs plenty of time. It should not be rushed. If it is, your life becomes a kind of abstract package tour, devoid of beauty and meaning. There is such a constant whir of movement that you never know where you are. You have no time to give yourself to the present experience. When you accumulate experiences at such a tempo, everything becomes thin. You become ever more absent from your life and this fosters emptiness that haunts the heart. When you regain a sense of your life as a journey of discovery, you return to the rhythm with yourself. When you take the time to travel with reverence, a richer life unfolds before you. Moments of beauty begin to braid your days. When your mind becomes more acquainted with reverence, the light, grace, and elegance of beauty find you more frequently. When the destination becomes gracious, the journey becomes an adventure of beauty. So for me, I, I don't know, there's just so much here. Um, this practice of patience that he speaks of, you know, I feel like what these rituals do for me is um, they're ordinary and they're mundane and they're not always exciting, but um, I've come to trust and know that, uh, you know, as I show up every day in patience and in grace with graciousness, you know, that these ordinary rituals have so much to offer me. Um, and even just the practice of patience is actually in the end you know sometimes it's really hard and um there's so much going on in life and there's so many obligations we feel we have to tend to and these rituals remind me that 
you know, what I really need to tend to is my heart and the hearts of my friends and loved ones. And, um, and you know, this, this greed for a destination, I can fall so quickly into that. Um, where am I going in my career or my relationships? And, and I got to get to this heaven, basically, you know, the heaven of the right job or the heaven of, um, of the perfect relationship or the perfect moment in a relationship. And um, I, I think these rituals, what they do for me is to remind me that this moment and everything that I have within it is enough. Um, and that also I'm on a great journey and great journeys like John O'Donohue says, they need plenty of time. And for me, the journey, the most rewarding journey are these inward journeys, the journeys of the heart. And they need plenty of time and these rituals carve out time for my heart. Um, it's when I am able to really listen to myself and to what I'm feeling um, and sit with myself. And you know, if I'm feeling frustrated or angry or disappointed, let down or grieving, you know, this is the time I can carve out for myself and and get perspective on things. Um, and so that I don't get stuck in some sort of anxious cycle where I'm not tending to my own heart. Um, and I, you know, this, the way that he talks about, you know, returning to the rhythm within yourself. And that's what these rituals are, they're a rhythm. And they tie me to myself, that kind of inner um, divine self, you know, divinity must live within herself. And that's the rhythm that these rituals help me stay in touch with. Um, and they, you know, these rituals as, you know, I love this phrase that uh, these moments of beauty begin to braid your days. And that's what these rituals, morning rituals, and I have midday rituals and evening rituals, they braid my days with beauty. Um, and I think it's hard living in our modern world where, you know, we're disconnected from the land, from the seasons and from these things that, you know, that in their essence, we, you know, we are the same. And when we pay attention to our own cycles and rhythms, we'll see that we're not so different from the land and the earth. Um, but yeah, so um, just a few more comments um, about one poetry. I get a lot of people asking me, you know, who want to start to, as they say, get into poetry, you know, where should they start? And they want recommendations of poets, which I'm, always happy to give, but I also um, wanna say this first is, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, poetry is, is music. Um, it's not meant to be quietly read on the page. Um, so if you can be bold and learn to read poetry aloud, it's meant to be heard. So if you just buy a book of poetry and you simply read it quietly, to me, it's the equivalent of buying sheet music um, and just looking at it rather than, you know, playing it on the piano or whatever instrument, the violin, the guitar, you know, no one's going to buy sheet music and just look at the notes. Um, and that's how poetry is. If, if you're buying books of poetry and you're just looking at the words, which is looking at the notes, uh, it's, it's not going to move you in the same way and you're not going to have the same uh, relationship of resonance with it. So, um, you know, learning to read poetry out loud, it's, it's not as hard as it thinks, as, as we think. Um, 
unfortunately, um, I blame the world of academia uh, for making poetry such an esoteric, difficult thing. Um, I feel like people treat poetry as if, you know, in the same way as if we were to say like, oh, you can't enjoy music unless you're a musicologist or understand music theory. And that's just not the case. We all enjoy music and most of us have no clue of, you know, whole notes and half notes and mezzo forte and forte, um, these music theory basics, you know, most people don't even know that much, but they listen to music all the time. And so that's how poetry should be. It's, you don't need a degree or you don't need a course in understanding poetry. You just, just read it and read it out loud and have, you know, give others the opportunity to read it for you and, you know, go online and go to um, whatever different uh, listening platforms you have and, and look for people reading poetry and, and listen. And that will help you decide what poets and poems uh, move you. So, um, you know, and, and poetry is meant to be communal. It's, um, it was an oral tradition, um, a way of remembering things and helping us remember our own stories and our own um, relationships uh, to the world and to each other. So um, the more you can enjoy poetry in a community, the better. And I hope that's what this Breakfast Poetry podcast can maybe be for some of you who don't have a poetry community that, um, you know, you'll get some bits of poetry here and there in these interviews. Um, and you'll hear it and you're, you'll hear other people read it and everyone's going to read it different. And that's, that's the joy of, of poetry, like, like music. Um, and then just a, a couple notes on, you know, the ritual aspect. I think sometimes uh, we, um, we shy away from this idea of ritual. It feels rigid and prescribed and uh, superficial in some way, but I want to encourage uh, you to try making personal rituals, and I call them ordinary rituals. Um, one of the, I love this um, quote from Sue Monk Kidd from her book, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter. Um, she says, you create a path of your own by looking within yourself and listening to your soul, cultivating your own ways of experiencing the sacred and then practicing it practicing until you make it a song that sings you. And so for me, that's what these ordinary rituals are, is it's this practice of experiencing the sacred um, and cultivating my own ways of doing that. Um, it's been really empowering to make my own rituals that haven't been prescribed by some religious authority or academic authority or whatever. You know, these are rituals that have, they're ordinary. Um, they're mundane. It's as simple as making my tea and reading poetry. Um, and it's something I do in my home. Um, another phrase I use is their domestic rituals. They ground me um, and remind me that I belong here. Um, and so when things are uncertain, which they always are, um, there's a rhythm to the rituals that feels um, always like an embrace like a, you know, like a coming home. Um, and um, to me, these ordinary rituals, they open up, you know, this, this 
repetitive as they they might get sometimes they still open me up to possibilities so i'm committed to those um so um again to quote john o'donohue he says uh, we seldom notice how each day is a holy place where the eucharist of the ordinary happens transforming our broken fragments into an eternal continuity that keeps us so again that kind of you know each day is a holy place where the Eucharist of the ordinary happens. It's a place where, I love this, this transformation of our broken fragments become an eternal continuity that keeps us. So, you know, don't underestimate these ordinary rituals. Um, and another note, uh, just, again, I, I think I've said this, but just, I do love how these rituals slow me down. Um, it keeps me from just running ragged, which is so easily easily done in our modern fast-paced world. Um, and they orient me towards beauty, which is what I, I want, a life of beauty. And that doesn't mean a life of ease necessarily. And that, you know, sometimes I'm, I have to be careful of what I ask for, but um, a life of beauty to me is a life that is real, that is full of all human experience and feelings and emotions. Um, I don't want to miss any of it, even the grief. And sometimes when I'm in that grief, you know, in that poem I love, The Grievings of Loneliness, I don't want to be there. And yet when I come out of it, it's just so sweet. And it's a sweetness that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Um, so yeah, um, and then, you know, I'll be talking more in the future about tea and, you know, the symbolism of water and the mist from the steam of the tea and, and how I use that as, you know, I'm very um, interested in plants and herbalism and learning the songs of the plants. And so, you know, this morning tea is also a ritual for me to to get to know my fellow creations on this earth and um, learn how we can support each other. You know, the plants bring me so much, not only healing physically, but um, wisdom. So uh, there'll be more on that in the future. Um, and I think just to end this um, episode, um, I wanna read, um, a bit of a Rumi poem. Um, you know, today I'm recording this on the equinox, the spring equinox, first day of spring. This is a poem I've been uh, working to memorize um, and it feels very fitting for the day and for the beginning of something. Um, it's called Every Tree. Every tree, every growing thing as it grows says this truth. You harvest what you sow. With life as short as a half-taken breath, do not plant anything but love. The value of a human being can be measured by what he or she most deeply wants. Be free of possessing things. Sit at an empty table. Be pleased with water, the taste of being home. People travel the world looking for the friend, but that one, is always at home. So I'll just say a few quick things about this poem and, and why it's um, resonating with me right now. Um, 
you know, I, I again, I grew up with a religious Christian background and this idea of, you know, the, the law of the harvest, you, you harvest what you sow. And then to have Rumi say, you know, do not plant anything but love. Um, and love is, I think I'll always be so curious about what love is and, and what does it feel like and um, not necessarily trying to define it, but just, I always want to find new ways to experience love and all of its layers and its complexities. And so I love this, you know, with life as short as a half taken breath, it's, it's so short. So why would we plant something other than love? So yeah, you know, do not plant anything but love. And I think that's why what we all want most in this world, we all want that self-love and to be loved and to feel love. And so that this spring is, you know, for me, I, I'm planting love and hope this spring. Um, and this idea of, you know, the value of a human being can be measured by what he or she most deeply wants. I just, you know, I grew up being afraid of my own desires and what I wanted and, and so easily was, you know, I, I believed that, you know, authorities and, 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 and people with power, you know, should tell me what I wanted and I, that I couldn't trust myself. And yet, you know, it's, so it's, it's been some work trying to, to learn what it is that I actually want for myself. Um, and I love that our desires, you know, this idea of like, you know, what you most deeply desire and what someone most wants, you know, that's how you can kind of measure a person and not in a judgmental way, but, you know, you can, you can get an idea of who they are. And, and I know who I am by, you know, the things that I most deeply want. Um, and this be free of possessing things, sit at an empty table, be pleased with water, the taste of being home. Uh, that just, that really got to me. And it's just, you know, when I do my breakfast poetry, I have a table that is devoted to my breakfast poetry ritual. And it's a, it's a holy table and it's this empty table for the most part. And it's, it is the taste of being home. And I, I started doing this, like I said, you know, during a divorce and when things were just crumbling and I was feeling so alone you know, this sitting at an empty table morning after morning with my tea and a book of poetry, like I can't tell you what sweetness that brought to a time in my life that felt so painful and so confusing. Um, I'll, I'll never forget that. And, you know, people travel the world looking for the friend, but that one is always at home. And I think the thing I've learned over the past seven years since my, you know, the beginning of an unwinding that's still going and probably will continue my whole life. Um, um, that this friend is always at home. That's me, you know, this idea of like as cliche as it is, like I am, I have become my best friend and I am always here for me. And the tea and the poetry are always here for me. Um, you know, whatever relationships come in and out of my life or the dynamics of those, you know, things are always changing, always. And yet I'm here for me at this empty table and just 
here with being pleased with water. I mean, yes, it's tea, but be pleased with water, the taste of being home. And that's what the tea is for me, is that taste of being home. So um, I want to, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk to all the guests I have lined up and um, about their rituals and their stories and the things that ground them and root them in lives of meaning and beauty. And um, I would love to hear from any of you um, about your rituals. Um, you can email me, annemarievivienne at gmail.com. Um, and let me know what your rituals are. If you have any ideas of people you would like to know what their rituals are, um, I am always up for a conversation. Um, and I will be getting a website up soon that will have all sorts of resources for you, um, books of poetry, um, you know, if you're interested in tea, where to get lovely um, uh, teaware um, and good tea if you're interested in living tea. Um, so there'll be all sorts of fun things on the website, but I just wanted to get started. Um, and hope this has inspired some of you to um, maybe reinvigorate some rituals or to begin some rituals. Um, they're really simple and they don't take much time. So anyway, thank you for joining me with uh, first uh, episode of Breakfast Poetry. <laughs>